Ozarks cover a significant amount of both Arkansas and Missouri with small sections in Oklahoma and Kansas. These 47,000 square miles of highland area encompasses both the Boston and the St. Francois Mountains, as well as the Salem and Springfield Plateaus. In 1908, the first area of the Ozarks became protected as the proclamation by Theodore Roosevelt created the Ozark National Forest by using over 90,000 acres of land from five counties of Arkansas, with over 600,000 more acres being added a year later. In 1938, this was expanded to include areas of Missouri, now known as Mark Twain National Forest, and also adding another 550,000 acres to the already established protected area of the Ozarks. The area is old, very old. In fact, the second oldest mountain range in North America is the ancient St. Francois Mountains, which has been approximated as roughly 1.5 billion years old, which also makes it the seventh oldest in the world. In comparison, the Blue Ridge Mountains of the Appalachians, which is known worldwide for its deep history, is roughly 300 million years younger at only 1.2 billion years old. The age of the area hides many secrets that are slowly being uncovered every day. The specific composition of the bedrock holds some of the oldest fossilized remains found on Earth with specimens from as early as the Proterozoic era. This ancient era was known as the first to give our planet its multicellular organisms and the birth of the organelle. The time period was roughly 2 billion years prior to the first dinosaurs walking the earth. But along with old rocks, the area has other secrets as well. Secrets that hide in the shadows of the Ozarks use the thick vegetation and the sparse population of human life to exist without notice of the modern world. The many creatures, both known and unknown, live their lives protected by the forests and the cave systems created by millennia of erosion and collapse of various parts of the ancient landscape. The beauty alone isn't enough for most outsiders to want to stay. But what is hard for one to survive in is a paradise for another. Paradise for a monster. A monster that some describe as being bigger than the average black bear. With glowing red eyes and horns on top of its head, this quadrupedal creature is commonly seen as brown or black with a long goat-like beard and an eerie call that gives the animal its name. Today, we peel back the layers of truth, legend, myth, and reality. Today, we dive into the Ozark Howler. Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy. And today, we have a couple special guests. We're going to start with the, the least special. Jacob. Wow. <laughs> Dang. Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole, man. Thanks. Again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is this least... number three? Number three guest spot? For like, since you left? Yeah. We just can't seem to shake you, man. No. It's going to just... blow people's minds what happens next. I know. You're going to guess me again. <laughs> uh, how you been, man? I've been well. Been doing yeah. all right. Yeah. Nothing too terrible. I had a motorcycle crash on Saturday. I'm still alive. So, yeah. Good. I, yeah. 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 You did a lot of work on that bike, man. Yeah. Now I get to rework it. <laughs> what kind of work? Rework. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I like the stash, man. It looks like you drank some really thick, dark chocolate milk. Dude, I like your stash, except that you need to trim it because you could probably floss with that thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is what it is, man. It's it's the squatch look. We talked about this. <laughs> All right, moving on. We are kind of kind of blessed because it's been a while. Like I just can't get this guy to come on the show anymore. CJ, welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole, dude. Well, thank you. It's been a minute. It has. It, it's been several minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Did I have you come on recently? No. Uh, for like the we're never doing Infinite Rabbit Hole again episode. Oh, that's right. It's been it's been so long that Jake now has more hair on his lip than he does on his head. True story. That is true. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good looking lip. <laughs> and uh, how you been? Come on. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah, good. you. I've been chilling. <laughs> <laughs> just that's it. Just chilling, chilling. Yeah, dude. That's it. That... Come on, man. You just you've been doing three fucking podcasts. Tell tell us about I, it. A I have bit. been. Just a little. I'm bit. not telling you about one of them, but uh, Why not? we got Mystery Stone back off off the ground because it's horrible. Like, okay. I, I, whatever, man. It, 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 do you want your friends to keep talking to you? Because they won't if they listen to that podcast. Um, but uh, no, so we we got Meta uh, Mystery Stone podcast back up off the ground after like a two year hiatus, and uh, that was cool. Like our listenership picked right back up where it left off. Um, even in two years, like we were still hitting like two hundred a week without uploading a single episode. So that was kind of cool. But we brought it back. It's in full swing. Um, the community is not as active as I'd like it to be, but it's getting there. And then I just launched a new podcast called Ethereally Yours uh, recently. And uh, that's actually going really well. I'm having a lot of fun doing that one. Yeah. Uh, episode two just came out today. Three. Uh, well, I have the pilot and then this, the season one, episode one and season one, episode two is out. Okay. Well, the one I listened to today was really good. Which one was it? Stanley How- the Stanley Hotel? Yeah. Yo, thank you. Appreciate it. It's called Ethereally Yours. Ethereally Yours. Yeah. So, like, the premise is, like, it's like I'm reading a letter to people. Yeah. You know, but we're talking about hauntings and ghost stories and stuff. And it's, like, short. I think it's, like, I think the the pilot's, like, 25 minutes and the Stanley Hotel's the second longest at 18. All right. You got it? You got it all out, man? You good? Nice. Yeah. 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 It, it's long enough for Jake to listen to while he poops. I might listen to it. He won't listen to it. I probably won't. Yeah. He'll no. subscribe, but he won't listen. Yeah. All right. Let's uh let's introduce the smartest person in the room by far. Okay. <laughs> the cat? Uh, the cat. No, our special <laughs> guest. Our special <laughs> guest for today is a fan of the show. She's actually one of my coworkers. She's an uh engineering intern, so she's by far the smartest person in this room. Lauren. Welcome to hey. the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Um, I just, cryptids are kind of my thing. Um, I don't necessarily believe in most things, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, but the Ozark Howler is kind of what got me into the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Um, not necessarily because you talked about it, but in the indirect way of that's what got me into another podcast, which then got one of our other coworkers to recommend me this one. So, yeah. I, I was surprised that somebody listened to it from, from my work, not going to lie. That's <laughs> pretty interesting. I actually, I had to ask him, I said, like, dude, you, you listen? He's like, eh, on occasion. I was like, oh, that's enough. I, I feel you yeah. with the not liking or not believing in most of them. I believe in like two. And CJ, what do I think about the rest of them? What are they? 
demons. That's exactly what they are. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd understand. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so we are talking Ozark Howler today. This is Lauren's recommendation. Nice. Uh, she wanted to come on and talk about the Ozark Howler. So I dove deep. And trust me, it was hard to find some stuff. I actually had to get into some local... Uh, I don't I don't know what to call it. Some like local libraries and stuff. I had to contact some people. I did. I reached out to some uh some areas of uh Arkansas and Missouri to try to see uh, try to confirm some things, which was cool because I was reading a book and I started I got to the point where I was like this has to be made up. There like this has to be all fiction. Like this guy just came up and just wrote all these on a whim. But I, I reached out to a few people and just just threw some emails out into the nether there. And uh, they came back and they came back with more information. So I was able to add some stuff to this presentation. This is probably the deepest I've ever had to dig for stuff. And man, let me tell you, I got some cool stuff. Bro, that's deep. <laughs> I got a question, not to yeah. spoil anything, but did you ever, uh, there's a particular stained glass window Yes. That had the howler. We talk about. It. Did yep. were you able to confirm whether or not that actually existed? I was able to confirm that the church burned down. Oh, darn. Because everything I've come up with, they're like, "Well, we can't. We've not been able to find the stained glass maker. We haven't been able to talk to anybody who's seen it." Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was. I I did confirm that it burned down. I did like it is in their records that the stained glass was there. Uh, but we'll we'll discuss that a little bit more at the back end of that. That is actually at the end of this episode. Or, or actually, I think this is probably going to end up being two. So this would be at the end of the next episode. All right, cool. You guys ready to roll? Yes. Okay, thanks. I'm fat. <laughs> All I do is roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, CJ. Characteristics of a howler. The Ozark howler gets its name from both the area that it claims is its home and the sound it so famously makes that somewhat resembles a howl. It's described as resembling the sound of a howl due to unfamiliar and eerie noise that often echoes through the darkness of the Ozarks at night. Author Ralph Tuller describes it as, quote, It's like the howl of a wolf, plus the bugle of an elk, and the laugh of a hyena, all blended together somehow. The call of the howler being its most powerful and influential feature for so much more than one reason, one of which is that before there were sightings and reports of a large quadrupedal creature roaming the forests of the Ozarks, there were tales of screams and yells in the night that would petrify those that heard it. Besides that, the creature has never been described as small or tiny. In fact, almost every report describes specifically how the experiencer was surprised as how big it was. The creature has been described more as big and bulky, while being both tall and long. It generally has a reputation as being humongous in stature, with a general size that rivals full-grown bulls while sporting a long tail. Besides the general size of the animal, the next most noticeable feature is the horns that are commonly reported on top of its head, and the creature's seemingly self-illuminating red eyes. Of course, to wrap it all up in a nice terrifying package, the creature is covered all over from head to toe in long, shaggy, black hair or fur with a rather long collection under its chin, giving it the appearance of a goat's beard. Sound like you were describing yourself that whole time. I was not. <laughs> the hair covers the horns. That was the description <laughs> of the Ozark Howler, sir. 
Is, yeah. it, is it just a big goat? It is. Uh, no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no. Nah, mm. <laughs> it's interpretation, I guess. Some people do claim that it is goat-like, but mm-hmm. most claim that it is feline. This is, I think this is a great time to kind of point this out. Lauren actually drew the cover art for this episode. Dude, that was so sick. <laughs> I know. And CJ, I actually just sent that to you so you could take a look at it as well. She definitely is the smartest one in the room. <laughs> By far. <laughs> so Lauren, John Creatures, I know you do it. You see my cubicle. You know. Yeah. <laughs> She's got these really detailed creatures drawn out on the walls of her cubicle on post-it notes. Like these mm. tiny little post-it notes, and it's got tons of detail. It's it's absolutely, it's impressive. really is. Take a little break here from the Howler, and would you like to spread word about where people can see more of your artwork? Uh, yeah. So I have artwork on Instagram at Meekum Studio. So L-M-E-C-U-M Studio. And yeah, I've got a lot of drawings on there. I do a lot of ink, watercolor, a lot of markers. It's actually what I used for the Howler was the alcohol markers until they decided to be a butt and like all the ones I wanted to use for the background died. So I had to use colored pencil. So it was not my original intent, but oh well. Um, Yeah, I also have an Etsy shop. There's nothing on it right now just because I haven't made anything. But I do like commissions, pretty much everything on my Instagram. If you want the original or the print, it's pretty much for sale. So nice. I also do custom longboards. Ooh. Like custom design, laser print the design, shape the longboard, press it, the whole shebang. That's awesome. Can you uh, say that again? El Meekum? Yeah, L M E C U M. Yeah, I almost went to art school too. I got like a $10,000 scholarship and was like, nah, let's do engineering. <laughs> well, you just got followed by Infinite Rabbit Hole. So cool. Thanks. Absolutely cool. Uh, absolutely stoked to have the very first hand-drawn cover for the Infinite Rabbit Hole. I think that's really, really cool. Breaking down barriers today. Uh, anybody have anything before we jump back in? No. How about you, there, beardless man? I have to control myself because you work together. <laughs> Fuck. No, 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 no. You can still be CJ. Go ahead. I mean, she specifically asked for Jake and CJ. That was a mistake. Um, <laughs> honestly, I just like hearing you terrorize Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Jeremy asked me to come on the show, I was like, why? Is Jeff and Kenzar not available? <laughs> <laughs> Are you at Kenzar yet, Lauren? Um. Yes. I. Oh, I am quite far. I have like an hour and a half drive. Every oh, day. nice. Well, nice. at least for this week. That's going to be an hour. But So I've listened to far more than I probably should have. I'm all the way at, like, gateway process, which I ended up... I couldn't handle all y'all trying to pronounce things. Like, <laughs> usually it's bad with the different languages, with all, of, like, the scientific jargon. And then I think it was Jeff said something about, like, the guy who discovered the double helix structure for DNA was on acid. And I was like, that's not even remotely true. And I just, I couldn't. So I skipped that. Well, I mean, Jeff's an idiot. So there's that. (laughs) That's, that's, that's true. 
no. Wait, but... wait, wait. I thought we liked Jeff. What's going on here? No, we do. We love Jeff. We love Jeff. Yeah. Okay. Jeff thinks everything is fake. I'm sitting wearing his shirt. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Freedom, not fear. Love it. All right. Uh, let's move on. Save some time here. We'll jump into the lore. Story has it that a fur trader by the name of Rene August Chateau Jr., who established a frontier town that was well known for fur trading and would eventually become the city of St. Louis, was married into the local native Osage tribe, which benefited both the Osage and many others because it opened lines of communication and trade between various parties. This would stand true for many years until August was offered the opportunity to wed a Therese Serre, the daughter of a very wealthy merchant in the region. August saw this as a great opportunity to expand his business and needed to come up with a way to lose his wife without giving up the respect he had worked on for so long with the rest of the Osage tribe. So with the help of his childhood nanny in New Orleans, August used magic to transform his wife into a rampaging, ugly, and large monster that would be shunned by the locals. It worked, and his ex-wife disappeared with nobody knowing what exactly happened to her, except August, who would hear her cries at night from her loneliness and his betrayal. August would go on to marry his new wife and keep relations with his in-laws, and it was the daughter of a high-ranking family within the Osage tribe's ranks that would be forever known as the Ozark Howler. The lore of the Ozark Howler surpasses one simple story of an origin, but crosses the divide into the realm of fantasy and mythology as well. The Howler has a perfect opposite in a creature referred to as the Snoffus, which is described as a white deer with flowers growing from its antlers. The Snoffus is the yang to the Howler's yin. In other words, whereas the Howler is known as an omen of death and darkness, the Snoffus is the embodiment of light and life. Both creatures of the Ozarks and both legendary in their own way. Another close companion of the Howler is a spirit or being known simply as the Flannel Man. In 2013, a hunter claimed that a man in flannel appeared to assist in his safe escape from the imminent attack from the Howler itself. There are many stories of a man in flannel showing up in the nick of time to assist in targets of the Howler throughout the region's recorded history of this creature. Nobody knows who or what he is, but many have been thankful for him at one point or another. There is another aspect to the flannel man, that is that he has been reported as appearing in the bedrooms of unsuspecting people, often accompanied by a spectral black dog. But more on this in a future episode of The Infinite Rabbit Hole. But speaking of black dogs, the legend and lore of the Howler shares a lot of parallels with the phantom black dog phenomenon in ways such as they are known to appear, disappear, reappear during times of danger, and be an omen that proves death after its third sighting by an individual. Now, the difference being with the Howler's lore tells of hearing its howl three times meaning certain death. It is even believed by many that the creature is one of these shadowy mutts. But as we may soon discover, this may be pretty far from the Howler's true identity. All right, guys, we're at a break. I'll be honest with you. Like, this is like most things. How do people know that they howl three times and then it's the certain death if everyone who ever heard it has died? <laughs> Somebody's third howl could be somebody else's first, and then as soon as that that person hears the third one, he just drops dead, dude. Come on, man, think outside the box. Bro. I'll be real; I barely heard any of that. I'm looking at Lauren's artwork, and it's awesome. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks. <laughs> what do you guys think about lore of the uh, of the Howler? Wait, what are we talking about right now? <laughs> I actually have a question. Uh, the the white deer thingamabobber. Yeah. What what did you say that was called? The Snoffus. S N A W F U S. Are there modern sightings of that? Uh, there are a few, and I actually kind of sidestepped a little bit during the research of this to see if I could do a whole episode on that. Uh, we actually just came out with a brand new type of episode called a mini doc, and that that is definitely a candidate for one of those. Not a lot, but probably a, enough to do 10 minutes worth of just one person talking. It's just a white stag. White stag with uh, flowers or some, some say ivy growing out of its antlers. There's plenty of white stags in the world. Oh, yeah, there's there's tons. Black ones, too. Yep. Is that, like, tied to the Howler through the original story or through, like, sightings of them together? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> cool. No, actually, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't dive as far as I wanted to with the Snoffus. There is nothing that I came across where it specifically tied the Howler to the Snoffus other than just that they're like the opposites of each other. I do not know if they have like when we were talking about the Snallygaster and the Snarly Yow, those two are, you know, they butt heads. Um, I don't know if that's the same situation here. I can't tell you. Okay. I was just curious. All right. Ready to roll? Yep. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. History. According to OzarkHowlers.com, an interesting piece of not only Howler lore, but American history, was created when Representative Flander Keep Roots negotiated terms in order to fund the Order of the Hoo-Hoo. More on that later, but this is a secret order said to have secret ties to the Howler, in which they construct fortifications to fend off the Howler in Arkansas. Philander Keep Roots, a.k.a. P.K., served in the Union Army as an engineer, and it was during this time that both he and his brother were stationed in Arkansas and Missouri, where rumors were spreading that the Ozark Howler had aligned with the Confederacy and was being used to attack the northern camps. 
The brothers' specific jobs in this effort were to create forts that were impenetrable to the Howler. And yes, apparently after further research into claims, this is true. This is actually what was written as the claim for what he was told to do while he was in the Union Army. Uh, after the war, P.K. won the election to the House of Representatives and continued his efforts in protecting the people of Arkansas, both in the towns and the railways, against the likeliness of the Ozark Howler and to protect the Howler from the people. In Ralph Towler's book, The Ozark Howler, he describes how a group of over 150 Russian Jews had arrived in Arkansas in hopes of establishing a commune in 1883. As time went on, a few of them began to disappear, and the community began acting by building crude buildings for women and children to sleep in while the men slept outside to protect against whatever was making the people disappear. Twenty men in total eventually ended up disappearing on watch, and when blood was found in the vicinity of their disappearances, the group began drawing connections to their dark times in Russia. The official cause of death was that all the men died of malaria. No one ever showed signs or symptoms of the disease while alive or after the group moved out of the area. The locals used this as an example of the terror that is the Ozark Howler. In spring of 1905, a very strange set of events took place immediately after many citizens of Arkansas began reacting to an extremely large number of reports of Howler sightings and attacks. Businesses began closing down early enough for people to get home before night. Parents would keep their kids home instead of going to school, and people in general refused to travel after sunset. An announcement was made by public officials that there were no widespread threats, but people didn't seem to care. They continued with their cautious lifestyles at that point. Things continued throughout the early summer, and on August 1st, Governor Jeff Davis sent National Guardsmen to every road entering the state. The state was locked down completely from anyone entering or exiting for the time being. The official reasoning was that they were protecting the citizens from yellow fever. But yellow fever was not a thing in or around Arkansas that year. In fact, according to Encyclopedia of Arkansas.net, the last cases of yellow fever in the state were in 1879, 26 years prior to the state being shut down. People began reporting sightings of guardsmen in the forest and along the roadways with weapons for almost the entire week after the shutdown. And when a report of the howler was made, the guardsmen were quick to arrive. This led the population to believe that it was in response to the increased aggression from the animal in the months prior that finally made the governor start taking it seriously. And the excuse of yellow fever was used to not create a stir in the community. I find it so strange that they believe that yellow fever would have caused less of a stir in the community than a wild unknown animal on the loose. Anyways, shortly after a week of shutdown, the state opened back up, and reports of the Howler run-ins were basically gone. But in 1927, there was a spat of Howler sightings in the area of Hellebent. This area used to be a lush farming community, until the summer when the Howler terrorized the farmers' operations. The fear of the creature was so great that many of the farmers missed their window to harvest, and a late flood destroyed what was still salvageable. Due to this, many farmers had to sell their land, and the only buyer that would bid was the federal government, who bought the land for pennies on the dollar. The majority of land around Halibend is now owned by the Fish and Wildlife Service, and the area is now practically barren of human life. So we got into a little bit of some history when it comes back down to the land. Yes, 
I, I did confirm a little bit of that. Now, I mean, records only go back so far, and I obviously didn't have the reach that I could have to confirm everything. But yes, a lot of that seems to be true. It's very cool. And I like how there's like uh, a secret society that believes in it so much that they're willing to like set up defenses against it. I can't wait to get into that. If you're going to believe in something, you might as well protect yourself from it, right? Something like this vicious beast, apparently. That's awesome. CJ, come on, man. Give me stuff. Uh, I mean, if it's out here destroying all kinds of farmland and like ruining people's lives and shit, why is that representative trying to protect it from people? Well, this is part of the question. The question about why they would want to protect it. There's some theories out there, uh, but nothing concrete. But as you'll see as we get later into this, this is this thing is taken very seriously. Lauren, what do you think? Well, initially when you were talking about, I think it was you were saying that they were saying that the Confederate army was using it, <laughs> right? That was that was what the Union that, army was saying. I don't know if it was a motivation. Like, fear-mongering to me that maybe that was some rumors that was spraying kind of like as intimidation. Yes. Um, I think it's strange that the government would shut down and prevent anybody from coming in or out of the entire state. Were all these across the whole state or were they localized? No, no, this is, this is statewide. Uh, also getting into Missouri. And I think we talk a little bit about Oklahoma a little bit later, but yes, Arkansas, statewide, for sure. And the shutdown of the state did happen. That happened for a week. They did blame it on yellow fever. I was able to confirm that the last case of yellow fever in or around that state, and I looked into every state that touched Arkansas, closest case of yellow fever happened 26 years prior. Interesting. To have that big of a response in that many sightings across an entire state makes me think that it wasn't just one animal. Yes. It's demons. I beat Jake to it. <laughs> well, it'd have to be multiple animals because it's not like one animal has immortality and just sustains forever. Right. But yeah. to have that many across that wide of an area for one specific period of time feels suspicious to me or they're lying you know jake uh th there's not a lot of cryptids out there that i think have a legitimate chance at existing i I'll did continue not continue listening i telling <laughs> you man i did not think when i first started diving into the ozark howler and just knowing the the surface information i didn't think that this was a possibility i don't know man this i i think this is up there this is up there. This is one of this is on on the cusp of being believable, like very. Hmm. So the demons thing wasn't actually like me being an asshole towards Jake. No, and we actually get into that too. Oh, good. Because <laughs> uh, well, here we go. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and put it out there. Like it sounds very reminiscent of um, like a hellhound almost. Yes. Like, uh, maybe not quite, but I mean, it's Arkansas. Who knows? What they're smoking and drinking out there, out in the woods, doing all whatever of it. they want. That <laughs> all of it. Well, I mean, it's even from the nineteen twenties and stuff. Like pot was still like a huge, huge thing, and you're growing it out in the woods or whatever. I don't know. 
moonshine, whatever they got going on. Uh, but witchcraft also has a massive prevalency uh, in Arkansas, especially around that time. Uh, the practice of the esoteric and whatnot, uh, old world Satanism and stuff, um, which would potentially have the ability to call out uh, things like demons and uh, hellhounds and whatnot, depending on what their what their objectives were. Especially if someone was being salty against the community as a whole, rejected by the community or whatever, they could have easily summoned um, some sort of demonic presence to take revenge in that aspect. So. Yeah, if anyone wants to know what Mystery Stone Podcast is about, there we go. Um, <laughs> shameless, plug. but uh, yeah, shameless. But uh, no, but seriously, um, I I could actually like get in line with like Jake's typical what everything is on this particular subject. Mm. It feels good. <laughs> I feel like if it was a hellhound, though, it's very specific form of that to one area. Whereas I feel like hellhounds, you would have seen it in another place across the country or in a different country. Well, when you're dealing with the esoteric and um, uh, specifically dark magic witchcraft and things like that, uh, it depends on what exactly they were trying to call. So um, especially if you're working with like uh, the Lesser Key of Solomon's Goetia uh, and things like that. Uh, each individual demon could potentially have its own hellhound. It could look different things. And like throughout history, when you look at hellhounds, we have hellhounds, the black shuck, um, the headless one that's out there in England. Um, yeah, they, they, t- they all take on these many different forms. So it's not unreasonable to think that this could be a different type of hellhound. Yeah, we did an entire series on the phantom black dog phenomenon, which is uh, tied directly to hellhounds if not an interchangeable name for him yeah i listened to that i actually really liked that one spoiler alert i'm working on some more good i am you left them unfinished i did i got some south america stuff that's really really cool you gonna get a south american guest i don't know maybe maybe i don't know That'd anybody cool. from south america that wants to come on for the south american black dog uh phenomenon then reach out for sure all right you guys ready I think uh, this one's a little long, this this stint, but this one this one's good. I like this. Ready? Early sightings. Daniel Boone is known. Jeez. <laughs> really? You're such an asshole. Get out of here. Get out of here. Early sightings. Wait, how does he have access to the to the script and I don't? This is some bullshit. Uh, because he still has access to the drive. For for reasons unknown. <laughs> All right. Talk about that later. Early sightings. Daniel Boone is known as the Appalachian explorer that pushed the borders of the United States westward, eventually moving into Missouri, which was at the time part of the Louisiana, which would eventually be purchased by the U.S. in the famed Louisiana Purchase. From this point, he would always push west for the sake of exploring, expanding, or hunting, and it was during the 1810 trip into the forest in what is now referred to as Cuba, Missouri, where Daniel Boone became the first recorded person to have an encounter with the Howler. The original letter written to his sister-in-law describing the incident and is written in an older style of English, so I did my best to translate this. Quote, I leave you with alarming story of a black creature. I found and wounded on the Sodder Creek black and swarthy with horns on its scalp. Ignorant of its name, I am told of the sound it makes 
with a terrible owling in the night. Warnings of this for settlers shoaled by past along. Your humble servant, Daniel Boone. It is said that Boone had one other encounter with the same creature, although this account can't be verified. It is said that he supposedly killed it in 1816. In 1846, several families in the small town of Red Oak, Arkansas, claimed to have encountered the Howler. Unfortunately, the only form of documentation is that of an oral retelling of the encounters, Therefore, it is impossible to get anything solid on what the events actually were. That's pretty much all there is to report on this story, sadly. In 1852, a Mr. Baird was living near modern-day Branson, Missouri, who was a lead miner that not only worked in his mine, but also lived just 30 feet away from the mouth of it on the inside. The man would leave the comfort of his mine every so often with a load of heavy lead to trade with the people at the bottom of the mountain. According to author Ralph Toller, Baird eventually began showing up in town without any lead and yelling at anybody who would look his way. Yelling things like, it calls, it beckons, and it howls. Eventually, a group of men took out to old man Baird's mine and camped out to see what he was fussing about. And as the sun lowered toward the horizon, made by the canopy of treetops, they began to hear a low moan, which quickly turned into a loud and strange shrieking. Soon after the switch in tone, it was made clear that the call wasn't coming from deep within the forest, but rather it was coming from behind them, deep within the mine. The group of men and Baird decided to investigate the strange sound, and as they approached the chamber only 50 feet in, a set of red glowing eyes were seen peering at them through the pitch. As the light from their torches illuminated the area, it was to their surprise that the culprit of the sound and the red eyes also sported a rather large set of horns on top of its head, as well as a beard that resembled that of an old man's. With torches in hand, the men slowly creeped up towards the creature, and before the men got too close, the creature stood up and ran deeper into the mine. Baird recognized the area that the creature ran to as a place that he recently excavated, which when they approached, Baird was surprised to see that there was a large hole in the ground, which seemed to lead into a deeper cavern. The men could hear the creature moving around at the bottom, but the footfalls began growing fainter as they believed the creature was moving away from them. So the men lowered themselves one by one down the shaft and into the cavern below. From there, the group moved along and eventually walked right out of another opening in the side of the mountain, a good way away from Bard's mine. The creature could be heard coming from the forest in front of them now, as the sound of its howl was unique. The men decided this was the point where they would separate from Baird and head back to the village, and the next morning they would share their story with everyone that would listen. Baird would continue to live in his mind for a few more years before his death and reported that he always heard the sound of the howler the majority of nights, but never saw it again. In the early 1900s, a man by the name of William Kleins claimed to have a run-in with the mysterious upright hairy creature in the nighttime in modern-day brushy Oklahoma. As he approached what he thought was another man walking along the road in the pitch of night, he lent a greeting, and whatever it was jumped on top of his horse and began attacking it with its long, sharp claws. He attempted to fight off the creature, but it was the horse that was able to free itself so that the two of them could get away. 
On April 22nd of 1922, at about 5.30 in the morning, the Jude family was awoken by the sounds of their cattle in distress. As Tom Jude entered the barn where the commotion was taking place, he noticed that the milk station had blood splattered all around it. As he took a few steps to investigate, something large and black ran by him and gave him a nasty slice on his leg before it darted out of the barn. He unfortunately didn't get a good look at whatever it was, but his wife was watching the entire event from the safety of their house and described the creature that ran away as, quote, It first appeared to be a large bear or mountain cat, but as it was running, I swear to Lord, that thing was a horned feline. When the event was all said and done, only one cow was found dead in the pasture, and what was really strange was that there was no damage to the body whatsoever, and it seemed like it had died of natural causes. In 1927, an Arkansas Cumberland College student tells of his encounter with the beast in which he describes a night that he was traveling down a one-lane back road when something jumped out in front of him. The animal had the face of a feline, but was shaggy with large yellow eyes. After he stopped, the creature began walking slowly towards him, and his reaction was to floor the gas. The animal gave chase briefly, but never reached him. Red Oak, Oklahoma, 1946. Many servicemen began coming to the area due to a lot of cheap land, and since the war ended the year prior, there were many that were willing to gather it all up. This led to a rash of sightings within the blossoming community. Unfortunately, there isn't much else on this, other than that there were a lot of sightings during this time. But, at nearly the same time, a similar occurrence was happening in Marshfield, Missouri, just about 250 miles northeast of Red Oak. Marshfield, being another area with an abundance of cheap land at the time, was also becoming the new home of many veterans of World War II that were coming home and looking to begin their new lives. On the edge of the growing town, a group of three veterans and their families purchased a section of land that they had split up into three lots and began building their new homes. After a long day of erecting framework, the guys were sitting around the truck putting the tools away and getting ready to share a few beers before calling it a night. But the easy part of their day was disrupted by the sound of a loud and strange howl coming from the nearby woods. The men all grew up in Missouri within the borders of the Ozarks, and none of them could pinpoint what was making the sound. The men thought differently of their drink and headed back to the home that they were staying at for the time being. When the three men returned the next morning, all their work from the day prior had been destroyed. The studs and beams they had laid were either shredded, broken, or in some cases, split down the middle the long way. There was zero chance that the wood they used could be salvaged and reused. So the men cleaned it up and built it back up with new wood. And at the end of the day, the howling returned, and the next morning, all their work was destroyed once again. Rightly pissed at this point, the men reluctantly went into town to purchase more lumber and began rebuilding for the third time. Only this time, one of the men brought his shotgun and the decision was made to stay at the site for the night to scare off the vandals they believed were causing the issue. The howling came late in the evening this time, at about 10 o'clock, and the men responded by yelling into the tree line to tell whoever it was that it was out there to come on out. What came out in response was no human. The beast lumbered out on all fours, and the men were instantly not only concerned for the work that they had done, but also for themselves. The men attempted to yell at it to try and scare it off, but the creature continued its stride to the framework of that first house and began attacking it with paws and teeth. 
One of the men raised the shotgun and fired right at the beast. The creature wasn't phased in the least and turned towards the men and began its lazy stride directly towards them. The men described the eyes as glowing red, and as the creature came closer, it lowered its head and aimed the two sharp horns at one of the men before beginning its charge. One of the men took a horn in the shoulder, was pinned between the head of this animal and the truck. One of the other men took another shot at the creature, and this time it clearly struck as there was an audible thump and a jerking reaction from the target. It yelled out in pain and took off running back into the tree line. The men never had another run-in with the howler again after the homes were built and continued their lives on the property. The town, however, would hear the calls of the howler for weeks after the incident, and a few other structures or items were destroyed under the Cape of Night, but nobody recorded a physical run-in with the creature again in this town during this period of time. In response to this event, a very famous visitor had made their way to Marshfield in order to conduct business involving the creature. But I'll cover that in a later section in this presentation. Oregon County, Missouri, October 1951. A dairy farmer scared away a creature standing taller than his cattle who was posing an offensive posture against his cornered animals. He described it as hunched, with muscular shoulders and a bearded face. The creature never attacked as he scared it off before it could make a move. And in 1953, a man by the name of Jasper Pollard described a run-in with the howler, which left him in awe of the uniquely twisted horns atop of its head. When Pollard recognized the beast, he slowly backed away and was never pursued. All right, guys. So that's all the early sightings. Now, I, I didn't include everything. I had to cut a little bit out. Uh, just, you know, a lot of them were very similar accounts, so I chose to go with the ones that were different, uh, ones that didn't sound like it was just the same account, just in a different location or a different time. Um, so what do you guys think? I think the one in the mine was a caribou. Think so? Caribou uh, or elk, they make the most horrific noise, and they can go from that like low rumble to that high pitch, pitch shriek. And the only thing they describe was horns red eyes and a beard all of True. which in the light a caribou or elk would have i don't think there was anything in the mine at all also why would they go after it like you I see mean, something spooky why don't you just, just leave it go run because they're men and men are stupid <laughs> that that's right true. that's fair that's that's very true <laughs> the story of the mine stuck out to me specifically um because the guy was mining lead and typically where lead is being mined, you're able to find mercury and mercury causes what's called Mad Hatter's disease, right? <laughs> yeah. And my man was definitely seeing some shit in that mine and he went down like just like his ramblings like it howls, it calls like, you know, <laughs> we're all a little crazy here. Like we're all a little mad. And then he gets those guys to come up there and uh, what I would gather what they saw was actually um a group hallucination caused by mass hysteria. I actually a hundred percent agree with everything, but the group hallucination hundred percent. It's funny that you said that because when I was reading this, I was like, this is fucking lead poisoning. Yeah. It's definitely heavy metal poisoning. Oh, absolutely. A little mad hatters in there too. And you know, even if that was the case, I mean, you know, the, the old man definitely had it bad. I mean, if he was, he was living 30 feet within the mine. He was living there. This is where he slept, ate, shat, worked, 
everything. So yeah, this this guy. Man, he was probably drinking out of lead cups. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was fucked. Connecting CJs and Lawrence there, you know, you get somebody who's all dope, dope on lead. And then you see a an elk, which I'm pretty sure were in the area at that time. I don't think they are anymore, but I could definitely see that being a thing for sure. So I brought up my notepad so I could start taking notes and stuff. This, uh, uh, was it Jude family with the, their distressed cattle? Yes. And the other end point was that it seems that it had died of natural causes. Yes. Doesn't strike me as odd in any way because, I mean, you can scare animals to death. Yes. Just like you can scare people to death. Put them in enough stress and they'll just, same as us, they'll have massive heart attacks and stuff. It's just so weird, this, like, horned feline concept. It gets it gets crazier, and I kind of explained that a little bit. I want to say it's in the next bit. Whichever section it was that the guy thought that he saw a person, and I was immediately like, well, obviously that's a Bigfoot, right? Big old hairy man. Um, but then it came out with the claws, and I was just like, mm. <laughs> I I was actually thinking uh, dog man, and I'm not I'm not a huge component to the dog man phenomenon, but. I mean, if you're talking about an old time dog man encounter, this is this is what it sounds like. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Sure, because I mean, honestly, if the the basic idea is that this thing is on all fours, sometimes I guess, and it's covered in shaggy hair, then if people don't see the horns or the obvious feline look, then I guess technically it could be mistaken with a plethora of things. Mm -hmm. And of course I I thought about CJ's, um, you know, his witchcraft demonic um, hellhound theory when the guy shot the shotgun at it and it didn't have really an effect, but then it was also destroying the wooden pieces. I was like, well, that wouldn't be the case because it was a spirit animal. It wouldn't be able to physically manipulate things like that. I think they missed it. Yeah, until you said that there was a second shot or the third shot rather, and it made a a, a thump, and then that's when they got the reaction from the creature. Um, yeah, but I was also thinking about um, I don't remember we did an episode a while back where someone maybe it was a black dog episode, and they said that they shot it and it passed right through it, and we were like that guy was crapping his pants. And was running scared and had to look tough for all of his boys, right? Or something along <laughs> the lines of that. And uh, <laughs> so I was like, brain was going a couple different ways from that. But yeah, I think that, that the first guy, if this is indeed a real incident, that he was just so scared, he probably went way, way high yeah. or went straight into the dirt, whichever it was. And so I was making my opinions and then you're like, oh, and then he, they shot it again and then it actually had a reaction. Well, so it could still technically be... Um like a demonic force, a hellhound. There's a practice um, within the metaphysical where uh, they can open a portal and that allows the spirits to cross through into our dimension with physical form instead of an ethereal form. Hmm. At least that's what it's supposed to do. Hmm. I don't know much about that, man. That's your, that's your side of things. What about, but also what about these veterans? I mean, so they had to build the structure like three times before they actually posted watch on it. Did they, 
just not notice being like, man, there's a lot of teeth marks and claw marks in all of this wood. <laughs> you know, those dang kids. <laughs> so yes, this this story does have some 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 glaring issues, right? right? And that is one of them. But this is the most influential sighting that we're going to talk about today. This sighting influenced a major player to come in, and we'll talk about that actually in the next episode. But the, the this sighting gets way bigger than what it, what it is right now. By far the most influential sighting. Cool deal. Lauren, what do you got? I was just thinking about how that sighting seemed fishy to me, but I think Jake pretty much covered it. To me, it feels like they had vandals messing up their work site and they weren't doing anything about it, so weren't doing their good a good job like they should. From keeping that from happening, they got spooked. They came up with a story so they could act like they were tough and fought off a beast. I would have absolutely said yes if it weren't for the guy who got pierced in the shoulder by a horn. And the guy actually had an injury. Took one for the team. They used a tool on him. Yeah, that particular encounter took in, took part in 1946, the year after World War. We are well into the realm of, of records medicine, right? And uh, yeah, you could find it. The guy took a fucking horn or something to the shoulder and actually had medical treatment done. Blamed it on a fucking big-ass black animal with a horns. And that is what caused An the elk. big... The big person to come <laughs> and take notice and do something about it. Was it <laughs> was it Roosevelt? <laughs> uh, no, no. Rose, Roosevelt's earlier than forty six, but we do talk about Eisenhower. Roosevelt. In the... <laughs> Let's be fair. If it was Roosevelt, that thing wouldn't have been around for like longer than ten minutes. He'd have pulled up by himself with like a Bowie knife and a pistol, and that would have been the end of it. I'm so glad you guys are up to date on on these presidents and their and their uh, their habits because you guys are gonna love the next episode. I'm telling you, you guys are gonna fucking love it. <laughs> the other side of that, you know, so say okay, this sounds fishy, but it's actually there's some legitimacy to it. I would have to imagine that if this is in fact a real thing, that like most, well, alpha predators. They have a territory, and so if these guys just move onto the, its area, maybe it was where it beds down. <laughs> like who knows, right? Yeah. And then they're just setting up their houses right there. Um, a lot of people will end up having run-ins with alpha predators because of territorial type purposes, not just like they have food in their cars or whatever. You know, people will stumble upon bears while they have cubs and stuff and all sorts of like chaos ensues but i would imagine it would be very specifically like this thing lays in wait for them to show up and then just mauls them to death versus destroying all their lumber <laughs> you know so <laughs> i don't know i'm, I'm it just shows uh, up like a minecraft creeper you sure have a nice everything there yeah <laughs> 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 uh. That's another question about that encounter. Do we see other encounters where it uses its horns? No, I did not see. That was another one that was actually I was trying to look for. I didn't see anything where it used it as a weapon. What I want to know is why nobody showed up with a red scarf and tried to handle it the old school way. Like a conquistador? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just start bullfighting it, throwing daggers in its back. That's like, right. 
Yeah. See if CJ was there, he would have taken that thing down, put it yeah. on his wall. Oh for no, a I'm a bitch. I ain't doing that. <laughs> Hell no. Uh, I'll do it. We're taking a trip to the Ozarks. Let's go. <laughs> Except for Jake's wearing a red shirt. He's gonna get right. it. Yeah. Right. I'm gonna dangle Jake in front of it. I'm gonna take run off running. <laughs> Bro, I survived a motorcycle crash. I'm indestructible. Let's go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that is the end of part one of our coverage on the Ozark Howler, Lauren. How was it? Cool. Yeah. Any, yeah. Any, anything new? Up. Did you get anything new? Yes. Yeah. Good. So we did better than all the other podcasts. I'd heard a lot about the uh, Daniel Boone um, story and his encounters with it, which I was, because of the lack of description, I was just inclined to think it was something like a mountain goat or a bighorn sheep or something like that. Because goats and sheep make weird noises, too. Oh, yeah. And Daniel Boone's a pretty reliable source. He is. I listen to the Bear Grease podcast, and they cover a lot of Daniel Boone. And he, his stories are, for the most part, very pretty verifiable. Daniel Boone was a mountain man. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he knew his animals, and yes, he was most famous for being in the Appalachians and maybe wasn't fully aware of all of the fauna in the area west of the Mississippi, but you'd have to think he had some sort of idea. Well, bighorn sheep and mountain goats are more of Rockies, so they're more west. Very true. So I don't even know if they get all the way over to the Ozarks. And they could have back then. I mean, that's in the 1800s when you're talking about Daniel Boone. So well, I mean, Boone is also he's also like you said he's a man he's a mountain man but he's still just a man he's he's still subject to the psychologies and stuff of of human beings and back then everybody was super superstitious and already as human beings we already have a predisposition to look for human faces and stuff mm-hmm. that's why you see them in clouds and all that right so all it would take is is somebody creating a, a convincing description of it and people's minds will actively search to find that thing even when there's even in nothing like you could be looking in the darkness and your mind will actively look for that especially if you believe that heavily in those things uh, and back in that day they, they certainly would have hmm. so we're looking at uh potentially just people being told of a convincing description their superstitions coming into play and we're talking about mountain men there really aren't too many more people more superstitious than a mountain man true I mean, they have their you know. own sets of cryptids. Literally, the lumber industry have the jackalope, the hoop snake, the um, geez, I'm going to forget the the other ones. But anyways, the jackalope and the hoop snake. There you go. Hmm. I still think if it was actually there, it was demons. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to get into. Uh, I want to say just after the modern sightings. That's what we're going to start off on part two is modern sightings. Now we're going to jump into something that's very interesting when we talk about the cultures and everything. Uh, all coming together into the Ozarks roughly around the same time and a little bit from this culture and a little bit from that culture and how it all combined into what we now know as the Ozark Howler. Uh, And it's very interesting, very interesting stuff. Uh, Anybody else have anything to say before we sign off on this episode? No, sir. All right. All right. That's been another episode of the, the Infinite Rabbit Hole podcast. Signing off. Jake, CJ, Lauren, and myself. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Bye. CJ. Both have to say it. What? Bye. Oh. (laughs) Lauren. There it is. (laughs) 
I would like to thank you once again for tuning in to the Infinite Rabbit Hole Podcast. Please make sure to give us a follow and one of those beautiful five-star ratings on your podcast player of choice. If you would like to join the conversation and stay up to date on all things Infinite Rabbit Hole, head on over to Facebook and search for the Infinite Rabbit Hole Facebook group. You'll know it's us when you see the logo. If you would like to help contribute to the cause, there are a few ways to do so. First, head on over to anchor.fm forward slash infinite rabbit hole and click on the subscribe button where for $5 a month you'll get access to all our old episodes that will never see the free spotlight ever again. It's horrible stuff, but if you're into that kind of thing, then go check it out. Second, head on over to infiniterabbithole.com and click on the IRH merch shop tab and grab yourself a sweet t-shirt, sticker, or whatever else you see that you wouldn't mind owning. Until next time, travelers, I'm Jeremy, and I'll see you at the next fork in the path of the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Bye.